Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Let's open up our Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy, the first chapter. We've spent the last several minutes talking to God in prayer and in song. And we now, for the next few minutes, want to let God do some talking to us. And He's going to do that through the pages of His Word. That will begin in 2 Timothy chapter 1. As you're turning there, I will just quickly echo the welcome from earlier. It is great to see everybody out this morning. We do have a number of guests with us. We appreciate so much your presence with us today. I'm so glad that you've chose to be with us on uh, yet another rainy day. Whoever is praying for the rain, you can stop now. We've yeah, No, actually, if the Lord thinks we need rain, then He's going to give us the rain. But uh, rain or shine, it's good that we're able to be here together on this day, the first day of the week, my favorite day of the week. It's the Lord's Day to be able to assemble together with God's people and to seek after His things as we worship before His throne. I do want to say very quickly that uh, this past week was the beginning of our Summer Preacher Training Program with uh, Brother Kane Atkinson working with us once again. And Kane will be preaching uh, for the next three months, mostly primarily on Sunday nights, uh, in addition to teaching classes and the other roles and responsibilities that uh, he's carrying out here and learning to do the work of an evangelist. And uh, actually tonight will be his first official sermon for this summer, so hope you have plans to be with us tonight at 6 p.m. Right now, though, it's 2 Timothy chapter 1. I'm reading here in verse number 3. In 2 Timothy 1 and in verse 3, Paul says, I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience. With a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. Back in 1940, the Walt Disney Company released the animated film Pinocchio in which they introduced a character by the name of Jiminy Cricket. In the original Pinocchio story, it was just the talking cricket, but Disney decided to name him Jiminy Cricket and gave him lots of extra personality quirks. And of course, Jiminy Cricket, if you've seen that movie, he serves as kind of the wise voice of reason for Pinocchio as Pinocchio is learning how to be a boy and how to live in the real world. Like most Disney movies, there's lots of musical interludes throughout the movie and the characters will break out in song. And Jiminy Cricket has at least one or two very famous moments where he breaks out in song. Probably the most famous of all is when he sings, When You Wish Upon a Star. However, he does have another song in the movie. Maybe a little bit lesser known, but still somewhat famous. The song was titled, Give a Little Whistle. And in that song, he sings and he instructs Pinocchio with these words. He says... When you get in trouble and you don't know right from wrong, give a little whistle. Give a little whistle. When you meet temptation and the urge is very strong, give a little whistle. Give a little whistle. Take the straight and narrow path and if you start to slide, give a little whistle and always let your conscience be your guide. Now, I can't stand up here this morning and speak to the merits of whistling as an effective strategy for combating temptation. However, that advice there about always letting your conscience be your guide, that does grab my attention. Because for the greater part of my life, I have heard and I have been told that the conscience is not a reliable guide that you should not follow it, that you should never trust your conscience. In fact, I've even heard some folks say, hey, doesn't the Bible say some stuff in a negative sort of way about the conscience? Isn't there some things in the Bible about having a weak conscience? Isn't there a verse in there that talks about people who have evil consciences? 
In fact, doesn't the Bible teach that it's possible to have a very clear conscience and yet and yet still be doing the wrong thing? You start stacking up all of those kinds of passages and all of those kinds of ideas, and pretty quickly what we come away with is Jiminy Cricket. Well, he's just wrong. In fact, I think for a lot of my younger years, I was convinced to believe that Jiminy Cricket was like the Antichrist almost. Like we need to squash that bug and not listen to him. But again, what he says there, always let your conscience be your guide. I've heard lots of sermons throughout my lifetime that talk about the conscience. And to just be honest with you, I think most of those sermons have been very negative, as if the conscience is something that, no, we don't want any part of that. This morning, though, I want to do something a little bit different. This morning, I want to actually speak positively about the conscience. In fact, what I'd like to talk about is I'd like to talk about the vital role that the conscience plays in the life of a Christian. The human conscience is mentioned specifically nearly 30 times in your New Testament. In fact, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3 is just one of those occasions, and the Apostle Paul probably is the writer who speaks most about the conscience. But instead of the conscience in the Bible being depicted as this awful, wretched device of the devil that's designed to lead people into sin and lead people into error, I am persuaded that the Bible depicts the conscience differently. I am persuaded that on the whole, the Bible teaches that the conscience is a powerful tool that is given to us by God to help us in our battle with sin and temptation. And I don't know about you, but I know that I need all of the help that I can get in that department. I need all the help that I can get to live right in this wicked world. And if the conscience is designed to assist me in navigating throughout this life to get from here up to heaven, then I want to know as much about that conscience as I possibly can get. And so this morning, that's exactly what we want to do. We want to talk about the conscience. And I want us to see if maybe, just maybe, maybe Jiminy Cricket was on to something when he sang about the value of your conscience. Maybe we just ought to begin all of that just by kind of defining what we're talking about a little bit. What exactly is the conscience? I guess we could just pull out Webster's Dictionary and just try to get, you know, Uncle Webster's definition of what all that is and hear that from kind of a worldly point of view, but how about we just use the Bible? I think the Bible actually can just give us a good definition of what's going on when it talks about the conscience. Look in Romans chapter 2. Here's what I think might just be the very best passage to just give us the basics about the human conscience. In Romans chapter 2, Paul is discussing here about the Gentile people, and he says this in Romans chapter 2 and in verse 15, he says that they, the Gentiles, they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts. How so? While their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. And so here's Gentiles. Here are people who are people who are outside of the covenant of Israel. People who did not have the law of God, the law of Moses given to them. And yet Paul says some of these people, they were able to do some things that were right. They were able to do some things that were pleasing unto God. Well, how were they able to do that without the book? Well, as Paul points out here, they had a personal sense of right and wrong. They had an internal compass, if you will. That's what the, comp- the, the conscience is all about. It serves as an internal moral compass. It is your sense of what you have come to understand is right 
And what you have come to understand is not right. And so your conscience pushes you and points you to do what is right. It passes moral judgments upon you. And, this is important, the conscience even does that, not just on those matters that the Bible speaks about expressly and explicitly, but the conscience even does this kind of work even on matters that the Bible does not specifically address in clear black and white terms. What your conscience does is it pieces together all of the data that you have received. Some of that data maybe comes from just life experiences, comes from your parents, comes from the people that are influenced by you. Hopefully for the Christian though, a lot of that data is the things that the Bible has given to us. A command here. A principle there. An example over here. Some of this, some of that. And your conscience is able to piece all of that together and then it tells you, hey, this is how you need to act. Or hey, you need to not be involved in that. These are the things that you ought to be doing in this particular circumstance. And of course, if you don't do what your conscience tells you to do, then what happens? Romans 2.15, it will end up accusing you. The function of the conscience is to prompt you to do what's right, but it's also designed to prevent you from doing what is wrong. Now, having said that, and having given kind of that basic definition of the conscience, can we just stop right here and recognize what a marvelous gift that that truly is from God? That what God has provided us here in this internal moral compass that gives us to, to be able to make moral decisions in this life, I believe that that should be grounds for profound gratitude and thanksgiving. And I think that that gratitude really gets to pumping within us whenever we stop and just start to consider all of the specific ways that our conscience benefits us, what it does for us in a practical day-to-day existence. For example, did you know that your conscience, your conscience will help you to get saved? I'm afraid we have not given that nearly enough attention. Look at me in 1 Peter chapter 3. In 1 Peter chapter 3, we always cite this passage in support of baptism and try to compel folks to think about what the Bible says about baptism and the essential nature of baptism, and well, we should. But maybe we should also use this passage to show and to support the idea of the conscience and the good that it does. In 1 Peter chapter 3, I'm reading in verse 21... There, Peter, he's making some comparisons between water and the times of Noah and then what that means for us today. So he says in verse 21, he says, Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know, this week, if you were to drive down past the pool there at Summer Splash Water Park, what you'll see is you'll see lots of people being immersed in water when they get into that pool. But they're not being saved when they get into that water and they're being immersed by it. Well, well, why aren't they being saved? Well, I guess maybe there's lots of reasons for that. They're not being immersed in the name of Jesus the Christ. They're not being immersed upon a confession that Jesus is God's Son. They're not being immersed for the remission of their sins. And all of those are certainly things that we would say. But Peter would maybe add to that list... They're not being immersed as an appeal to God for a good conscience. Baptism comes out of a good conscience, out of a pure and honest heart. The reason people submit their lives and submit themselves to the waters of baptism is because their conscience is telling them, Hey, 
You're not right. Hey, you're not in a right relationship with God. You're out of fellowship with God. You need to do something about that. And so it is the conscience, Peter says, that prompts people to submit to New Testament baptism for the right reason, which he says there in verse 21, now saves you. You know, sometimes people will ask and they'll say, you know, I don't understand why so-and-so has never been baptized. You know, why hasn't he been baptized yet? Why hasn't she been baptized? I can tell you why they haven't been baptized. It's because their conscience has not provoked them to the point of acting upon that and getting right with God. But that's not the only thing that the conscience does for us. What about this? What about, secondly, the fact that the conscience will keep you from doing the wrong thing? Yes, it'll get you saved, but then it'll also keep you from fouling things up. I'm looking now for Romans, the 13th chapter. In Romans, chapter 13... Paul, in this passage, he's actually speaking about the role of of civil government and our responsibility toward the governing authorities that God has put into place. In Romans chapter 13, I'm reading here in verse 5, Paul says this, Romans 13 verse 5, he says, Therefore, you must be in subjection to those governing authorities, not only to avoid God's wrath, notice this, but also for the sake of conscience. Paul says that that desire to have a clean and a clear conscience, that that is one of the reasons that we don't just go around just breaking the law willy-nilly. It's one of the reasons that we don't go into the store and shoplift. It's one of the reasons that we don't traffic drugs. It's one of the reasons that we don't just go around murdering people. That internal moral compass has been trained to say to us, hey, those things are wrong. Those things are illegal. More importantly, those things are sinful. And so I'm not going to do that. The conscience, the conscience serves to restrain us from those things. But you know what? For as much as the conscience keeps us from doing the wrong thing, the conscience as well, it encourages us to do the right thing. That it'll affirm you in the things that are good and the things that are right. And once again, it is Paul that talks about that. Look in 2 Corinthians now. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, I'm reading here in verse 12. In 2 Corinthians 1 and in verse 12, Paul says, Our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience is that we have behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God and supremely so toward you. Notice there in verse 12, the conscience is not saying to Paul, Paul, don't do that. That's wrong. Get away from there. You can't be involved in that. No. There in 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 12, the conscience is saying to Paul, Hey, you did the right thing. You served God acceptably. Good job. Keep that up. You keep doing that. And so we have, once again, the conscience can either accuse us or it can excuse us. That's that idea of affirming us that we have done the will of God. Now, again, let's just pause and you look at those things. Those are three really big ideas. When you think about what the conscience is doing in people's lives, you know what that says to me that the conscience does? That says to me that your conscience, that it guides your daily walk. And that's not exactly what Jiminy Cricket said, but I believe we can look at those things, we can look at these passages, and I think we can safely say that the conscience guides your daily walk. Now, as soon as I say that, somebody... It's going to freak out. Somebody's going to say, whoa, whoa, Josh. You can't get up and be saying that. 
You can't be up there saying, let the conscience be your guide. You can't say, conscience is not our guide. Don't you know, Josh? The Bible is our guide. The Bible is the only infallible guide that we have. You can't be guided by your conscience. Well, let's just back up for a second. I recognize that the conscience is fallible. I'll say more about that in just a minute. But can I ask, where does the Bible ever say, don't you ever listen to your conscience? Don't you ever be guided in any way by your conscience? The conscience can never, ever be your guide, and if you do that, you are doing the wrong thing. How does it say that? Why does Paul again and again say, I always strive to maintain a clear conscience? Why is Paul always saying those sorts of things if the conscience is just kind of a worthless tool? Why does Peter, in 1 Peter 3, we read a moment ago, why does he praise the power of the conscience in bringing us to the point of salvation if the conscience is just the devil's device? If it's some kind of spiritual handicap that you should never, ever pay attention to? The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible never says, don't ever listen to your conscience. The Bible never says that the conscience is always a false guide and you just cannot ever, ever trust it. No, the Bible teaches us, just from the few passages we've looked at, that the Bible is actually a gift from God that we should be paying careful attention to. Now let me say again, for at least the second time now, that the conscience is not an infallible guide. It is not. But look at what it does. There's no denying that the conscience does these things. It helps you to get saved. It keeps you from doing the wrong thing. It then encourages you to do the right thing. Those things I deem to be pretty valuable, don't you? It is an amazing tool that helps us to navigate through this life. But of course, as with any other good tool, it can be misused. It can. There's no doubt about that. The conscience can be handled and used in the wrong way. And that, of course, can create some real problems for us. For example, you can misuse your conscience... By assuming that it is perfect. And that's a huge mistake. That is a terrible mistake to think that your conscience is a perfect guide. The passage that I need here is in Acts 23. And once again, it is Paul doing the talking. In Acts chapter 23, Paul describes his own life, his own manner of life up to this very point in time. As he stands before this council and as he's giving his defense, he says in Acts chapter 23 and in verse 1, Paul looking intently at the council said to them, brothers... I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. You realize that when Paul says, I've lived my entire life in good conscience before God to this day, that that also includes a very significant portion of his life in which Paul was persecuting the church, in which Paul was imprisoning saints. Paul's conscience during those parts of his life was actually excusing his behavior. And let me ask you, did that make it right? The fact that his conscience was clearing him of those activities that he was involved in, does that mean that he was right in doing those things? No, it does not. It absolutely does not. Just because your conscience is saying to you, hey, I think this is right. Hey, I think you're doing the right thing. That does not necessarily make that so. Just because your conscience says, you know, I think God is really going to be pleased if you do this, that doesn't automatically mean that God is going to be pleased if you do something. We cannot assume that our conscience is always right. You know, I'm using the the compass metaphor here on my PowerPoints and in some of the things that I've said already, but maybe kind of to update that illustration a little bit, maybe a more modern analogy for us today would be 
Maybe you think about like a GPS system. Most of us have a GPS system just right there handy on our phones. And of course, that's a really handy thing to have, isn't it? Because we can just say to our phone, Hey Google, or Hey Siri. And we can then just trust that it is going to safely guide us to the destination that we're trying to go to. But of course, every now and then, you'll have a GPS that will end up sending somebody in the wrong direction. And there's lots of reasons for that. Sometimes maybe the maps just don't get updated with the most current information. Maybe sometimes that's because the application just mishears the address that you told it. Maybe there's just some kind of other technical error going on in the phone. But since we assumed that this device, this GPS, it's going to get us to our destination, we end up letting that GPS guide us to, to Bonneville, Kentucky, when actually we were trying to get to Boonville, Kentucky. And those are in completely opposite directions. And that kind of thing does happen from time to time with the GPS. But I'm saying to you this morning, that doesn't just happen with GPS technology. That also happens with that internal GPS that we have. That happens with the conscience. And while I have spent a few minutes this morning praising the value of the conscience, you need to know that your conscience, that it is not the voice of God. It's not the same thing. Your conscience is not perfect. But I will say this. I think your conscience probably ought to work pretty good. And I'm speaking specifically like to the members of this congregation, people who are here on a regular basis. I'd like to think that your conscience, generally speaking, ought to work pretty well. Think about it. I see people here in this room who come to church regularly. You hear the Word of God preached and taught regularly. You are in Bible classes regularly. There are people here who I know read their Bible regularly in their private devotional time. There are people here who are constantly educating their conscience all of the time, which means I think your conscience ought to be fairly reliable. And that is why the Bible then cautions us about this second thing. And that is that it is a mistake to just ignore your conscience. While the conscience is not perfect, I think I've stated that now 17 times, it is still important. And it still needs our attention. Look with me in 1 Timothy chapter 4. Here's a passage that I just think is just downright frightening. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, here is what can happen to the conscience if it is neglected, if it is ignored. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, Paul talks here in verse 1 about wicked people doing wicked things. People who are devoting themselves to deceitful spirits. People who are involved in the teachings of demons, verse 1. We might say, how could anybody be involved in that kind of stuff? How could anybody? That stuff is just reprehensible and it is awful. Why doesn't a person's moral compass speak up to them and say, whoa, stop doing that. What are you doing being involved with demons and that sort of stuff? Well, Paul tells us why people get to that point, verse 2. 1 Timothy 4, verse 2, he says, through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. What Paul says here is he says that if you don't pay attention to your conscience, after a while, it stops working correctly. After a while, it'll just go silent. And then, of course, it's not good for anything. One writer, I like this analogy, he compared the ignored conscience to the idea of getting frostbite. He said, if you go outside when it's 40 below zero, your hands immediately are going to start hurting. 
But if you don't do something about that, like put some gloves on, put your hands in your pocket, do something to take care of your hands, then eventually what's going to happen is your hands will stop hurting because your fingers will get frostbite and that will settle into your hands. And as a result, you'll end up doing permanent damage to yourself. You're not even going to feel it, but you're going to end up doing permanent damage. I think Paul says in 1 Timothy 4 verse 2 that there are some people who have spiritual frostbite. That their conscience is just, is just frozen. That they have ignored it and they don't listen to it. And since they have ignored it for so long, now here at a moment when they ought to feel some shame, at a moment in their life where they're involved in something, that they ought to feel some remorse, they ought to feel some guilt for what they are doing, they can't. They are not able to. Their conscience has been rendered useless. The Bible says, pay attention to what your conscience is hollering out to you. Listen to it when it says, don't do that lest you reach a point and it becomes seared. Can I just stop right here and make just a a, a quick, but I think a very pointed application to our entertainment choices? Have you ever sat down to, to watch a movie and, I don't know, maybe a quarter of the way into the movie there's all of a sudden a bunch of bad language? Or maybe there's a bunch of sexuality. Or maybe there's just a bunch of gratuitous violence going on. And it starts happening on the screen and it's just kind of, we're kind of getting uncomfortable here already. But then maybe it kind of gets past that part and kind of, movie kind of evens out. And all right, we kind of get comfortable again. And then all of a sudden, oh, there's there's more of that language or there's more of that nudity or whatever's on there. And now we're kind of squirming in our seat. And then it kind of evens back out again and... It kind of just kind of goes through that little ups and downs, ups and downs. There's some bad stuff and all, we're uncomfortable, but we kind of stick through it. And okay, now we feel okay again. And we get done watching that movie, watch it all the way to the end. And after it's over, we say, shoo, that was pretty rough. You know what? I nearly turned it off like four or five times. Well, what happened there? What happened there was our conscience was hollering at us again and again and again and again. Our conscience was saying, hey, this isn't right. You shouldn't be watching this. This is polluting my mind with things that don't need to be in there. You need to turn that off. But instead, we ignored it. And then it came up again on the screen. What did we do? We ignored it. And it came up some more on the screen. What did we do? We ignored it. Sometimes you'll even hear people say it. They've watched a certain movie or listened to something on the radio. And they'll say, oh yeah, I I saw that movie. You know what? It just didn't really even bother me. What is that? That is evidence of the seared conscience. When your conscience says, turn it off, what you do? Yeah, turn it off! Young people, when your conscience says, get out of that boy's bedroom, or get out of that girl's bedroom, you know what you do? You need to get out of there! When your conscience says, put down that alcoholic beverage, you know what you do? You need to put it down! You need to listen to that God-given sense of right and wrong that is trying to protect you. That's what's going on with the conscience. It is the Lord trying to protect you against sin and impurity. It is a powerful tool, but it will only work when we put it to proper use. Somebody says, okay, that's that's heavy. I definitely want to use my conscience. So I'll tell you what I'm going to do. What I'm going to do is I'm going to set my conscience to just super hypersensitive. I'm going to teach my conscience to just speak up and to holler about anything and everything. Every kind of doubtful matter. You know what? I just want my conscience to just tell me no. Just say no to everything. 
And that kind of is the other extreme here. And I'm going to suggest to you this morning, you don't need to do that either. I think that is a mistake to set your conscience to be hypersensitive. I'm looking for 1 Corinthians now, in 1 Corinthians 10. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul is actually talking about some issues of conscience, some doubtful matters, some things that were, were troubling brethren in first century times. Particularly here, what's being discussed is the issue of meat that had been offered and sacrificed to an idol. People were wondering, I mean, what, what do we do about that? I mean, can we eat that? Can we not eat that? I'm not really sure. I'm kind of on the fence. I can see it this way. Somebody else says, well, I can see it this way. Well, what will we do about that? Well, what Paul assures the brethren there, verse 25, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 25, he says, you can eat. You can eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. He kind of repeats that again, verse 27. He says, if one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you're disposed to go, then eat. Eat whatever's set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. You see, once again, how important the conscience was to Paul. Paul's just always talking about that. And what he says here is he says, hey, look, you don't need to be one of those people who's just kind of looking to stir up trouble. You don't need to be just so kind of super aware of anything and everything that you end up just objecting to anything that crosses your purview. Where you end up just abstaining from everything that is offered around you. You don't need to be that person. It is interesting to me that sometimes the folks who see themselves as being just super righteous and super spiritual are oftentimes the people who have their conscience set on hypersensitive. Oh, I can't do that. Oh, I'd never do be involved in that. I'd never have some of that. And they see themselves as being so much more pious than all the rest of folks. Well, Paul doesn't say anything about that. Paul doesn't seem to want to give like a gold star for that kind of thing. That if you decide, hey, there's some Christian liberties that I've decided that I'm going to give up, that's fine, but that doesn't make you a better disciple than anybody else. In fact, in chapter 8 of this same letter, Paul actually says that that might be evidence that you have a weak conscience. And that, of course, is where we can get ourselves into some trouble. Because whenever you do have a very hypersensitive conscience, then there is this fourth temptation, and that is that there is a temptation to go firing my conscience at other people. Go firing it off at people who aren't doing things exactly as I do them. You know, let's just be candid. There are always going to be some matters and some issues that Christians are going to disagree on. Just as we, we disagree with people in the world, but there's even things that even God's people are going to disagree on because there are things that the Bible does not explicitly address in very clear terms and make those things very abundantly clear. There's not a thou shalt not for every single matter under the sun. For example... What about participating in Halloween or Christmas? What about getting a tattoo? What about owning a television? What about practicing self-defense? I could keep listing examples of this, but there's always going to be areas like that that are difficult, things that engender some disagreement between folks. And I know Christians who kind of land in just a number of different places on the spectrum on those sorts of things. And while there's going to be some who will look at those types of issues and say, you know what, I'm just, I'm just content to chalk that up as a matter of, of Christian liberty, as a matter of personal judgment. There's going to be others who are going to be more persuaded in the other direction. And they're going to say, I, 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 those things are sinful for me. I, I, I just can't do that. It just, it just, it just be wrong for me to be involved in that. And that is what's going on at Corinth with this meat thing. And evidently it was going on in the church at Rome as well. Would you find the book of Romans, please? In Romans, the 14th chapter. 
You had some folks there in the congregation who were saying, yeah, you know, meat offered to an idol, I, it's just not that, really that big of a deal to me. I mean, it's just meat. You know, I don't, I don't think anything about the, the idolatrous practices that go along. It's just meat, it's just food. That's all it is to me. But then, of course, you had some other folks who had some very strong convictions about that that said, nope, I, I, just, I cannot eat that meat. Maybe I'm a Gentile who's, who's, I've come out of that and I've come away from that. So the idea of getting around that meat, it just conjures up some bad thoughts in my mind and I don't want to do that. So I believe that's wrong and so I'm not going to touch that. You know what Paul says about that? Paul says, that's okay. That's fine. Wherever you are on that, whether your conscience approves of you eating that meat or whether your conscience disapproves of you eating that meat, what you need to do is you need to live within the constraints of your conscience. And what he says is, he says you need to be careful not to go shoving your conscience on somebody else. Look at Romans 14, verse 22, as he ends the passage. Romans 14, 22, he says, The faith that you have, you keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith, for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Paul says you keep your conscience to yourself. And that means you need to have some respect and you need to honor other people's convictions and other people's consciences. We just go back to like the movies illustration again. Say we invite some friends over to, to, to watch a movie. We pop a DVD in or we queue up Netflix and the movie comes on and the friend says, oh, hey, I, I, I can't watch that. That's just not something that, 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 that I can watch and and be comfortable with that, and, and I don't watch R-rated movies, or whatever the reasoning may be, and we then say to them, oh, come on, oh, what's the big deal? Just a little bit of dirty language, not any different than the kind of stuff that we hear out in the world every single day. Come on, quit being so uptight, quit being such a goody two-shoes. What are we doing there? I'll tell you what we're doing there. We're telling that person, hey, violate your conscience. And then what we're also trying to do is we're trying to impose our conscience upon them. Paul specifically in this passage forbids that kind of misuse of this tool. That is not how the conscience is to be used. Conscience is given to us as a tool to assist us in the battle against sin and temptation. And it must be handled correctly. It must be handled carefully. It needs to be maintained. It needs to be fine-tuned. In fact, the conscience really works best whenever it's been calibrated. Somebody would maybe ask, well, how do you calibrate your conscience? You know, what exactly does your conscience need in order for it to be properly calibrated? I think I can show you that exactly from Acts chapter 10. In Acts chapter 10, this is the account of Peter having this really strange yet amazing vision before he ends up going to the house of Cornelius and ended up teaching him and his family the gospel. In that vision, in that night, we're told in Acts chapter 10, this is verse 10, we're told there that Peter became hungry and he wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance. And he saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. And in it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him that said, Rise, Peter. Kill and eat. Verse 14, but Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. You know what Peter's saying there? Peter's saying, my conscience, my conscience is saying that that's wrong. 
You're telling me to eat, but my conscience says not to eat that. My conscience won't let me do that. My conscience says that those are unclean things to say. My conscience is telling me that that would be sinful. Peter's conscience is just buzzing. I mean, the alarms are going off. There's a sin alert, sin alert, sin alert here. When in actuality, what the Lord was trying to tell him was that it wasn't even sinful at all. Peter's conscience was feeding him some wrong information. And we know that because of what the Lord then says in the very next verse, verse 15. The voice came to him again a second time and said, What God has made clean, do not call common. In fact, it didn't just take the second time. It took at least a third time before Peter finally got it. Do you see what Peter's conscience needed? What Peter's conscience needed was, is it needed to be updated. What Peter's conscience needed was more truth. It needed to be calibrated with more of the truth of God's Word. He needed God's Word so that his conscience would encourage him to do the things that are acceptable and the things that are right in the sight of God. And I'm saying to you this morning that your conscience, it is only as good as the information that you feed into it. And if the only kind of information that you really feed into it, or maybe the majority of the information that you're feeding into it, is what the world says, and what you see on social media, and what you see in movies and in television and that sort of stuff, then you're feeding it the wrong thing. What we want to feed our conscience is God's Word and more of God's Word. Because the more truth that we take in, the stronger and the more accurate our conscience is going to be. And of course, you know right here exactly what I'm going to press for, don't you? This is exactly why daily Bible reading is just so vital. I don't get up and just preach about that just because that's just my little hobby to preach on. I like daily Bible reading. No! This is one of those areas that shows us the Bible, God's Word. It helps us to train our conscience in the right direction. Because the more that we read about right and wrong, the more we hear the voice of God in Scripture, the more that we are exposed to the precious truths of His Word, then the more fine-tuned, sometimes even unnoticed by us, but the more fine-tuned our conscience is becoming. As we feed it those commands, those examples those principles of Scripture, then the better our conscience is able to just marshal all of that data when we need it so that we're in a situation, whatever the situation may be, even if it's a situation that is not expressly discussed and covered in Scripture, our conscience can come to us and it can tell us what's right. It can tell us what would be wise. Our conscience can tell us, hey, that would not be wise. Our conscience can say, this is what you ought to say or this is how you ought to act, this is how you ought to behave. It is the Word of God that we must train and mold our conscience with so that it can be a reliable guide in our daily walk with the Lord. And so if somebody were to ask me, hey, do you think Jiminy Cricket was right? Should you always let your conscience be your guide? Well, I probably wouldn't use those words. And I don't think I'd be that broad in that kind of statement. But I do hope that what you have seen this morning is that I don't think that that cricket was entirely wrong either. I believe the Bible shows that God has given us a tremendous tool by giving us the conscience. And in order for us to use it and to use it correctly, we do. We need to know some stuff about it. We need to know what it is. We need to know what it isn't. We need to know about some of those wrong uses of the conscience. But really more than anything else this morning, I hope that the takeaway for you is abundantly clear. 
your conscience and my conscience, it needs to be educated, it needs to be trained, it needs to be calibrated by the living Word of God. We need to be in the book more. Because only then can the conscience serve as that helpful guide, as an extra tool to navigate us through this world, and as the Lord leads us on to heaven. Now in just a moment, we're going to stand and we're going to sing a song of invitation. And perhaps this morning, as we have talked about the conscience, perhaps you have felt very uncomfortable during this sermon because you have a conscience that is afflicting you right now. Maybe your conscience, even before you even stepped foot into this building today, maybe your conscience was telling you, hey, you're not living right. Yeah, you showed up to church and that's all well and good, but, but you know you're not living right. You know that you're not in a right relationship with the Lord. You're not being like Christ as you ought to. You're in sin. You're out of fellowship with God. You know what you need to do if your conscience is telling you those things? You need to listen to your conscience. You need to pay attention to it this morning as it is trying to push you to take some decisive action. If this morning you have never been obedient to the gospel of Jesus Christ, then really what your conscience is doing is it's pushing you today to do that 1 Peter 3.21 thing. Your conscience is saying, hey... I want to be a good conscience. I want to be clear. And the way to get that cleared is through the waters of baptism, which now saves you, as Peter says in that passage. Your sins can be washed away. You can come up out of that water having a clear conscience, a good conscience. I'm right with God, and I'm, I, I know that I'm in His good graces. If you are a Christian, though, you are keenly aware of the fact that there is sin in your life, then I'm going to guess that your conscience right now, it is probably just eating you alive. And it is telling you, one word and one word over and over. And that word is repent. Repent. Come back to the Lord. Humble yourself and repent to Him. Re- repent before Him. Confess those things before the Lord. Don't, don't silence that voice that's screaming in your head. Don't just ignore it. Let your conscience, coupled with the teaching of Scripture, the Word of God, let that motivate you and push you to action And if that means this morning coming before your brethren and confessing wrong and asking for the prayers of the saints here, then let us help and assist you in that way and in whatever other way that we can. If you have any need this morning, if you need to respond to the invitation of Jesus Christ, then this invitation is yours. Take advantage of it now while we stand and while we sing.